everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews Live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing amazing, Neil. How about you? Did you have a great week? I had a fantastic week, and our guest today, oh my gosh, we know her from Knott's Landing. She's an actor that's been in so many different things. I was looking up her Wikipedia, but she has lots of new things to report to us. Joan Van Ark. Joan, thanks for stopping by. How are you? Well, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. All right. So let's talk about this. When you first started thinking about the industry, when did you know you were going to be an actor? How old? Oh, my goodness. This is a story because I was 14 years old. Uh, spring vacation had just happened. And I expected Russell James, uh, uh, the high school senior quarterback on the football team, to ask me to the prom. But he asked D instead bastard. And I'm sorry. Uh, so I thought, okay, who needs guys? Uh, on a whim, I went and auditioned for the Nomad Playhouse in Boulder, Colorado, where I uh, grew up. And I went and uh, auditioned, never had done anything like that before, never had done any acting, nothing, nothing, nothing. And it was a monologue by Irma, the flower girl. I hate ugliness. I love beauty. I hate meanness. I adore kindness. It was a wonderful, lyrical, fabulous audition. And after I had done my little paragraph or whatever, you could hear a pin drop. I heard that kind of silence that an actor in a live theater situation, when you hear that, you know, no sound and just people holding their breath, I thought, who needs guys? I'm going to be an actress. And I decided at 14 that, and I didn't get Irma because it was one of the, it was the ingenue lead. I played uh, the flower girl instead because it, literally I'm 14. I'd never done any stage things before. And my entire lines consisted of Violet, sir. So uh, as the flower girl, that was, that was my one and only line, two words, but it, it, the bug bit, and I went on to do The Glass Menagerie. I did Laura. I did uh, Anne Frank, The Diary of Anne Frank. I did a bunch of things at this Nomad Playhouse and then got a scholarship to Yale, and the rest is history. Wow. Okay. Go ahead, Greg, with your question. Wow. You know, that's, that's a pretty amazing story. I love that story. 14. Yeah. Focus well, it, young, you know, I, I was that. so hurt. I expected the quarterback to be in love with yeah. me. And I always expect everyone to be in love with me. That's what I want desperately. But uh, I got the love from the silence of the audience uh, that was watch watching my audition. And that silence is, is a necessity for the actor because that means you're doing your thing. Yeah, you got it amazing. going on. <laughs> Do you, did you prefer doing um, live performances uh, on stage um, or TV? Or? Uh, well, golly, that's a tough one. I love whoever she, and put she in quotes, whoever she is. That's my uh, goal. And that can be any number of characters and challenges and new areas to investigate and go deep because you really need to do. So it's, it happens to be, I mean, there's a scene from Knott's Landing where, uh, oh, it's, it's such a long story, but bottom line is, I ran away from the cul-de-sac in, in Knott's Landing, California, and uh, went back to my roots because when Valine started, she had definitely a Southern accent because she's from South. And um, I, I went to this, uh, ran away because Geary Ewing uh, was in love with Donna Mills, bitch. 
And so, <laughs> so uh, my character ran away to back home to Nashville, Tennessee, and I played this waitress. And um, I went uh, dressed up more like Abby with big hair and makeup for days and went to a bar and the guys got kind of rough with me and I got a little drunk. And so they show me waking up in the motel where I was in the South, waking up and staggering into the bathroom and looking up at my face in the mirror with all this smudged makeup. And I looked horrific and it shocked Valine to death. She immediately turns on the water, scrubs her face clean. And for me, Joan Van Ark, this actress, the makeup queen of all time, to have washed my face, I called the uh, producer director, David Jacobs, and I said, can I just wash my face and start over and become more like Valine and more goody two-shoes, which was Valine. And I washed, we had one false start. I said to the cameraman, stop me. If uh, when I wash this face, it's a wrap because it'll take two hours to put it back on again. Uh, and so we wanted to wash the face and I would start over and do this very simple uh, sort of porcelain and soft, 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 soft look. And we had one false start and then the second one sailed through. It's a five minute take and they didn't interrupt it at all when they aired it. It's the most proud I am of any piece of work I've done. And that was what I call the face washing scene. And I love the producers for letting me do it and the crew for doing the kind of football team effort, the team effort of making a moment, a scene and a message resonate. Wow. You know, the, the transition, I want to know the story now, because again, as I'm, I, again, I was born in 1973. I'm 50, Joan. And I remember- I'm 51. So. Uh, and I remember uh, Dallas uh, in so many ways, and then how that spinoff happened. So how did you get this role? You know, you were always, you know, acting uh, well, in the theater I and kind of- Transition. Right. right. And, and I, um, well, let me think. David Jacobs pitched Knots Landing first to the CBS. And they said, well, that's a good idea, but we want something more glamorous, more over the top. It was just prior to the 80s, which is more is more instead of less is more. And they said, we need something with glamour and flashy and, uh, you know, really out there in your face kind of thing. And they, and they said, have you got anything like that? So David went home, pondered, and wrote Dallas after he had already written Knott's Landing and wanted that show to be his debut on CBS. Uh, they loved it. And uh, there's Larry Hagman, and then there's Linda Gray and Patrick Duffy and all these wonderful, wonderful actors. Uh, so Dallas went first, and they asked me by chance uh, I was doing Estee Lauder commercials in New York simultaneously with nuts, uh, with with other work out here in the, on the West Coast. And um, David uh, invited me into his office and said, OK, Dallas has taken off. Uh, what do you think about Knott's Landing? But meanwhile, I had done eight episodes of Dallas as Valine, as Lucy's mother. So that character had been established. And David Jacobs, who who created both shows, said, uh, you know, could would you with Gary, uh, you know, want to do a spinoff to be, uh, become a pilot for a series called Knots Landing? And uh, long story short, the CBS picked it up with 
Gary and Val moving to the cul-de-sac. And um, again, the rest is history. 14 years later, which is, I think we're number three of the long running shows on, on television um, because Knott's went 14 years, which is a pretty great, great run. NCIS, I think is the leader, mm. like 21 seasons or something in unbelievable, but Knott's went well, I would say. <laughs> wow, definitely. <laughs> is it still syndicated? Is it still available on? Well, you know, that's a great question. Because I don't think it's uh, stateside, but they play it a lot in London. One of the greatest thrills of my life is that my picture with Larry Hagman and Danny DeVito, of all people, they took three iconic TV shows during the 80s, during the heyday. And <laughs> on the side of those double-decker red famous London buses was my mug, uh, uh, Larry Hagman's mug, Danny DeVito. You know them, the ones you love to love and the ones you love to hate. Larry was the one that you love to hate because he was JR, <laughs> that mean old guy. Uh, Danny DeVito, I don't remember what the phrase was. And then I, I can't remember uh, something about goodness was Valine. But uh, I got a picture of that with me <laughs> on the side of the bus in London. And that's one of the greatest thrills other than the marquee when I did Barefoot in the Park there in London, directed by Mike Nichols, I might add. I did it on Broadway and then I did it in London. But Mike Nichols, that was a moment in my my life, my career, whatever. Um, did you think it was gonna be when you heard about the spinoff and how you were gonna be a big wool compared to what you were at Dallas that was gonna be as big a hit? Did you think from- uh, Didn't yeah. really think about that. Although Michelle and I, uh, Michelle Lee, uh, who was Karen Fairgate in Knott's Landing. We were filming one day out in the, out in the windy outdoor uh, cul-de-sac where we filmed the exterior shots. And Michelle said something like, I've done two or three pilots, they never sold. And I said, Michelle, and I don't know where I got this courage because I'm usually, uh, the glass is half empty. Uh, but I said, Michelle, this is gonna go. I just feel it, I know it, don't worry. We're gonna have a series. And I was Paula positive. And sure enough, it was picked up. And as I say, 14 years later, la ti da. Are there any uh, cast members that you still friendly with? And oh, yes. Oh, yes. Donna, Joan, and Michelle are currently working on something that I want to call, but Donna doesn't like this title, We're Not K-N-O-T Done Yet. And I want to <laughs> do, <laughs> I want to do something like three ladies in a rest home raising Kane, you know, being a, a three renegades in this, uh, what do you call it? Well, rest home, you know, where you go for Sunset Farms is what I always call it, Sunset Farms. But I wanted the three of us to do something completely opposite, but but be Joan, Donna and Michelle and or a, a podcast even. We're not done yet. And, and talk to people who who keep on keeping on, which I love. Um, but um I don't know. We, we, we're going to do something together, the three of us. I know we have to. And we see each other all the time. And Ted Shackelford, who was my Geary Ewing, my husband, uh, when we married and divorced three times within the four, you know, the spin of Dallas and Knott's Landing. So it was three times married and three times splitting because he had to be with other women. I'm so upset. Uh, but um I talk to Ted all the time. And, and so it's Ted, 
Donna and Michelle, I'm still, we're still very close. I was checking out your filmography and you've been in a lot of uh, pretty big shows, not just Knott's Landing, guest starring in. That, that was pretty, you've had some pretty amazing people you worked with, not just on Knott's Landing in Dallas. Well, you? yes, um, um, I'm doing, I'm working on a, I, I'm not working on the book, but someone came to me uh, doing a thing on uh, The Last Dinosaur, which is a movie, a feature I did with uh, Richard Boone and um, uh, who was Paladin. Uh, because my father just loved him. And same with the frogs, a, a thing with, uh, where I was opposite Sam Elliott. Um, uh, I, I did that one too, and that was Ray Milland. Uh, so I, there were all kinds of people that I did because my father was very important in my life and you know drove me across country to meet at the Yale Drama School where I was awarded a scholarship straight out of high school to go to the drama department. I was the second actress uh, after Julie Harris, who played my mother, ironically, on Knott's Landing. Serendipity was at work there. Um, she uh, enabled uh, the, uh, you know, told the dean, I've just met a girl who's in high school currently, but wants desperately to go to the drama school. And sure enough, my mother and father, we drove back from Boulder, Colorado to New Haven, Connecticut. I met with the dean and I was awarded a scholarship straight out of high school, just as Julie Harris was. And then the uh, the cherry on the top of the Sunday is that um, they said, we've found your mother. Uh, we've cast somebody, Knott's Landing. Uh, David Jacobs said to me, we found someone who's going to play your mother. And I was waiting for them to say one of the Gabor sisters. That's what I thought their idea of my mother might be. And they said, Julie Harris. And I let out a scream. I was so excited because that's an actor's actress. Seven or eight Tonys, I think she's gotten. So it's incredible. Amazing, amazing what, lady. What TV shows do you like to watch? I don't, and that's so terrible, but it's mostly because of this COVID thing that I just, it, it, it's hit me so hard that I, I've been blessed and I'm knocking wood to you know be always busy on something. And the, this p past three years has been such a recalibration for my world, my business, my activity, my everything. Um, and it's just, it's rattled me more than I'd like to admit, but I'm trying to cope with, you know, the virtual um, uh, uh, many uh, opportunities, which I did a bunch of those, but it's so different and it will be so different from here on out. And now the better product seems to be, you know, streaming uh, those projects. Those are the brave, edgy, kind of marvelous uh, things and no makeup. And so here's a diva <laughs> in definite distress because I have to, you know, oh, the loveliness of me has to always be there. And uh, now it's, you know, wash your face and come, come as you are. And it's not as pretty, it's not as pretty as at all, but it's it's the new normal. It's the new normal. Oh, explain that. So you mean no makeup. So I, we don't. Well, it means it means happen. a rougher. It means a rougher look and a more realistic look. I will say in in its favor, it's real. It's not the '80s was all about gram, uh, glamour and uh, more is more and uh, you know flashy. You know, Nancy Reagan and uh, just say no and all that kind of retro kind of thing that really doesn't exist right now. 
Uh, and that's it, that's a correct thing because everything should, you know, evolve and move forward. But right now it's, uh, you know, no, not no overdoing it at all. Natural. Hmm. You'll see. Well, I don't know how much I don't know what product you guys watch. What what do you what shows do you love? See, I'm very busy to watch specific shows. So I'm watching documentaries. I used to be streaming like crazy. What about you, Greg? Uh, you know, if I get around to it, it's it's the DVR now and again. I do like NCIS, NCIS Hawaii, and a big sci-fi fan. So I'll go back and watch Agents of Shield or you know Stargate <laughs> or one of those shows. <laughs> well, this wouldn't be, but like uh, this wouldn't be me because I I've kind of pulled away and I'm a member of the DGA because I directed a couple three Knots Landing episodes. Um, I, I haven't even been to the DGA. That's mostly because of COVID. Again, you're sitting in an enclosed area, uh, you know, and I'm still, when I go in a store or something, I do still put the mask on. I know it's now it's okay not to do all that, but I, I knock, again, knock wood, uh, neither my husband nor I have had, to our knowledge, uh, COVID. So I don't know. I think we're lucky. No, you definitely were, and especially at the specific times and things like that. You know, I was looking at shows when I was mentioning that because these are earlier before your big break, and you were you were also on the love boat. This is interesting, Greg. Uh, Wonder Woman. She was on uh, Barnaby Jones. Mash. I was. Yeah, I didn't her. even know about that. I haven't looked at any of that. I I usually don't. <laughs> don't look back. Look look ahead and do but, better. But I mean, it's amazing to look at these just iconic shows that you kind of yeah. have to think back. I yeah. mean, I, I have the well, same thing, Joan. When I figure out who I've interviewed of all the celebrities I've interviewed, Joan, in my career, and I go back and say to myself, "Oh yeah, I'm watching this show. I interviewed him. It was just a radio tour or something like that." And I was watching uh, iRobot and one of the, the the CEO and iRobot. Oh yeah, I interviewed him, and oh he was also in the Madonna. So I'm sure you know you had maybe a small role in certain things and forgot. Do you remember? No, I, I, I I'm not going to toot my own horn by any means, but I was lucky enough. I was with William Morris at that time. It was called William Morris. Now it's William uh, Morris Endeavor. They every agency has a sort of melded or combined their efforts, and uh, especially now post. COVID, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, musical chairs with, because people are, you know, they all did business from at home. And so they, a lot of people blended companies and they continue to do so. Uh, again, the new normal, uh, but we all got used to doing things out of the house. Uh, and I, I don't know if that's a plus or minus, but uh, it, it's the new, it's, it's all a new way and old dog, new tricks. For me, it's really been an adjustment. Well, you know, a little earlier, you mentioned uh, business, doing your business. Were, were you just talking about your craft or, or are you entrepreneurial and you actually have a business? Oh, no, I don't. Well, no, I've, I've pitched. and But mostly it's been with Donna and Michelle because I, I feel with the three of us, uh, I don't know, whatever our brand might be individually and together, that to do a surprising, oh, I didn't think they'd do that. To do something unexpected is always the the kind of the best effort because it's a new take. Uh, but no, I don't have a, a, a business and it isn't like Joan Van Ark Productions or anything like that. Gotcha. But uh, I, I've been ever busy, uh, you know, here, there and everywhere. 
trying to, you know, reinvent. That's what tonight right now is all about reinventing yourself. Yeah, because Joan, before it was the big film, big films or the big shows, and things have changed dramatically in this industry. And they I really have. They really have. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know. Uh, as I say, I'm not sure where I fit in. I I would love to do something. For a while, I thought it was a biker. I wanted to play a motorcycle biker, <laughs> get on a Harley and take off and into the sunset. But um, I don't know. I've had ideas about you know, what would be surprising? Because it's always good to take a deep breath and go somewhere you haven't gone in life and in everything. So and true. it's hard to change because I'm a pattern person. OCD on steroids is me. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you can get on the next Terminator with Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, be on the Harley with him. Uh, oh, is he doing Harley stuff? Is that his thing? Well, he did a little bit on, uh, was it T? T2 maybe? Yeah, T3. T2 or T3. Go, go yeah, figure yeah, on all this stuff. Yeah. Now, uh, what do you want people to, uh, of your role, what do you, you said the whole branding of Knots Landing, the three of you, what do you want people to remember most about you three as, as, a, as, a, as a crew when it comes to Knots Landing? Well, on Knots Landing, we were separate islands in a way. Karen and Val were close. That would be Joan Van Ark and Michelle Lee. But with Abby, she was in her own spin and in her own world. Uh, and now we've become closer than ever, Michelle, Donna, and Joan, partly because of uh, you know pitching a, an idea or a podcast or a show, and just because we have. And it wasn't that way necessarily on Knots because that was a big ensemble cast. Alec Baldwin was one of the uh, obviously lead players. He was my brother on the show. And mm -hmm. I've just, and I don't, I want to be very careful and tiptoe here, but I loved this guy when he came and did his first scene with Julie and me in the house, in the Ewing house during Knott's Landing. After the first scene, uh, I marched right into David Jacobs' office and I said, where did you find this one. He is special. He is wonderful. And he was, he was just an incredible addition to the show. And it breaks my heart and soul and all of it that he's going through what he's going through. This is such a, a, a beyond a nightmare dream. It just, and uh, I, I just, I, I don't want to comment one way or the other. I just want to say, I love this man. And I, I hate the uh, emotions that he is inevitably going through. Mm -hmm. Amazing to look at people that were in specific shows with you, Joan, and where they are today. But Greg, yes. a final question, Greg, what question you always like to ask all of our celebrities? Yeah, so this is my favorite question. So Joan, what's the most important thing in life you feel you've ever learned? Oh my goodness. I'll have to have another cup of coffee for that one <laughs> that I've learned. I don't know that I've learned it, but I'm trying, I'm working on it to not be afraid of change, not being afraid to take a deep breath and be where you are literally in the moment and deal with that and not try to solve the problems of the world or just my world, but to be brave and take steps and, 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 
not hang on to things that may be holding you back, to just be open. It's really hard because I'm Gemini and I don't know whether, I think that that's supposedly that sign and I've experienced it, are two people, two sides to, to me. The, uh, uh, a braver side maybe and a very rigid side. So I wanna be the braver side. I wanna work on that and, and it, it's tough because I've got patterns that I've done all my professional life and I now must change them. And I gotta be a big girl and wear my big girl pants and deliver. Wow, it's, Great, it's, it's such, such a pleasure. What do you wanna say to your fans out there, fans of Knott's Landing? Well, here's what I wanna say. I love you truly with all my heart because that support is, is my deepest and most gratifying. Uh, and I can tell whether someone's just doing a blanket, oh, I love you, whatever, uh, and not, not really caring. But when I sense a true fan, it's a gift from heaven and I love it. It's appreciation. And uh, I wanna just say, thank you. I love you. I don't answer all the fan mails. Uh, that I've got a stack, I mean a stack of fan mail, uh, because I'm a one trick pony right now in a, 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 a committee of one trying to handle all the things that I used to have a team working on. Uh, but just know if I haven't responded to you or sent you the picture you sent or whatever, uh, I love you and I will get to it, I swear, and stay with me because I need all the love and help I can get. Thank you, thank you, thank you, fans. That's such a great thing to end the show. Joan, where are the best place people can follow you and find you? Where can they go? Well, I have a, I have a uh, what do you call it, website. Because I don't go on the web. I don't go on the internet. I, I, there's too many people who hate. And I don't want to see any of that. And I, I want so much to please. Uh, but uh, I do have a website, joan at joanvanark.com. Uh, and it's a, you know, from time to time, I do different, uh, headlines and uh, uh, what do you call it? Something page, which is the cover page. But um, I'm not on top of it as much as I should be. Again, a one-man band where I used to have a team. I understand. Well, this is a, this is a lot of fun, wasn't it, Greg? To hear some stories. Yeah, we well, appreciate you guys it. are you guys are great, and you are in, in which. Um, city. What, I'm in Dallas, Texas now, not Pittsburgh. I'll have to You're in Dallas, Texas? Yes, I'm in Dallas. Oh Texas my God. Pittsburgh, Pittsburgher, they came to Dallas. Go figure. I, I love it. And where are you? I'm in Boston, Mass. In Boston. I did the Boston Marathon. I'm wow. so proud. Listen, you have to qualify that. And Granny uh, ran a 320 uh, uh, marathon to qualify. And it was one of the thrills of my life to 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 do Boston. And I love Boston. I have relatives in Cohasset. So oh, so you both are in, in cities that I love, which well, is Well, I'm sure you love Dallas for sure. <laughs> I do, I do. South Fork. Have you been to South Fork? Uh no, I have not. Uh so you'll have to we'll have to connect later and you can tell me more about I was gonna say, shame Dallas. on you. You go see uh, South Fork because I know it's somewhat of a museum and a whole thing. And by the way, I am going to be doing in June um, a, a Dallas reunion. It will be in Palm Springs, California on um, June 13th. And uh, it's a nightclub kind of dinner club. And it'll be uh, Patrick, Linda, Steve Keneally, um, Charlene Tilton, my daughter, Joan Van Ark, and Audrey Landers. 
uh, about five or six Dallas, the remaining, because Larry's not with us, boo-hoo, boo-hoo. Uh, but it'll be the, the lineup and it'll be a, a Q&A and uh, film clips and all kinds of things of uh, a Dallas reunion. June 13th at Oscars in Palm Springs, California. And then the second thing is a, a couple of uh, autograph shows in uh, Burbank. They call it the Hollywood um, autograph show, I believe, and it's a big convention center and all kinds of stars will be at that in um, uh, July uh, 30th and uh, no, sorry, June 30th and July 1st. So that's upcoming as well. All right. We appreciate it, Joan. What a great uh, conversation. Take care now. Thank you Thank both. You. All right. Have that a great was special, the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews Live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Take care. We're back to Neil Haley's show, and it's it's my celebrity segment. First, excited to welcome my co-host Paul Hollis, author of the Holloman series. Paul, thanks for stopping by, man. I know you're excited about our guest. Appreciate you being here. Uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, I am ab absolutely uh, uh, enthralled with this. This yes, is amazing. Great, yes, for sure. So, Julie Rogers Pamelia is yes. our guest, and she's the granddaughter of Roy Rogers. And I appreciate you coming on. And it's got to be amazing. When did you find out about your grandfather's legacy? When did that, when did you first learn about it? Well, you know, I when you grow up, whatever you grow up with is normal to you. And so I just figured when I was little that everybody's grandfather had a TV show. And that's just what he did. And we watched it with him uh, sometimes. And he'd be on the floor with us and go get him, Roy, go get him. Yeah, Grandpa, get him. And it was just very normal. When I was in second grade, um, you know, those weekly readers, scholastic readers that we used to get, well, we still get them at school. Um, Grandpa showed up on the cover of that. And my teacher called me up to the front of the room and whispered, do you know who this is? And I thought, yeah, yeah, that's my grandfather. <laughs> and I didn't really understand why she was making a big deal about it. And uh so she did, and we talked about him, and and it was starting then that I started to get the feeling like maybe uh, my grandparents are a little bit different than others, or our family is a little bit different, and I had a lot of questions for my parents that day. So that was just the small beginning, but they never made an issue of anything they did. They didn't act as if they were somebody special. Um, they treated everyone the same. They were, they were very accessible, and they were just the same on screen as they were off screen. So... Yeah, I was little, but, you know, it kind of grew. No one ever told me, though, that she wrote Happy Trails. So, you know, I didn't get told a lot of things. I just was around and kind of picked it up. But there's actually more people outside my family that know more details about my family than I do, than any of us do. Wow. Which is weird. Did you, did you ever think of show business because of? Um, I did early on. I wanted to be in uh, in back of the camera uh, somehow in production, but my dad saw the the tough side of it, and they really discouraged me from that. So I went into since most of my family was either in film or teaching, I went into teaching. So here I am, third grade. <laughs> now and go figure that teaching again performance. I was a former pro wrestler, became a teacher. So mm -hmm. I understand as a professional wrestler, then when I went and said, okay, I'm going to, teaching is performing. Teaching is, is performing each and every day. Each, and it's the biggest challenging thing because every day you have to have an Oscar winning performance to have a good class. Exactly. 
Exactly. And you have to grab your audience attention. And if you don't have their attention, they're not learning. So it's very challenging. And I've been doing it for over 30 years. So, um, so yeah, in a way I did go into performing. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a performance and it's such a thing. Uh, Paul, do you have a question? And uh, no, I, I'm uh, I'm just amazed at, at the story here. Um, I, I watched uh, Roy Rogers and Dale Evans uh, when I was a kid, always on TV, uh, once a week. And and uh, you know what? I never saw him lose his hat, not even in a fight or anything. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. 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 He, and they didn't shoot the guy. They shoot, shot the gun out of his hand or whatever. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, I... Um, it's an interesting time that we live in because if you're under the age of, I don't know, 60, maybe um, a lot of people don't know who they are, but they're very relevant for today because of the morals and the values that they taught that were kind of missing uh, here and there. Now there's gaps. And also because of their, they changed the landscape of how people view special needs children because they had one and they were proud of her and brought her out. But back then they used to put them in institutions. Mm. So um so they they changed that and they started noticing when they go to rodeos all of a sudden since they started taking their little robin uh daughter out they'd see a lot of families in the audience with special needs kids so yeah that was that was a very important time he he set aside all of the front two rows around the arena in madison square garden for only families that had children and then children with special needs and down syndrome because their their daughter was down syndrome yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. So my yeah. question to you, why did you write the book? You know, I wrote the book for my sons. I had no no intention of publishing it at all. I was going to go to Kinko's. It was going to be one of those, you know, quirky little family gifts, you know, where this is a little bit of your posterity, my posterity passed on to them, family history. And the more I went to Western festivals and I would kind of chat with people about it, they say, no, 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 you need to, to publish this. I buy it. I, I want to read it. And, you know, there are stories that grandchildren can tell that are different than all the other historians and all the other books that are written on Roy and Dale. Um, it's a very personal book. And it has to do with just my relationship with them and the things that that happen. And I at first I thought, well, I don't have much to say. Well, then I just wrote down one little story. And then I wrote another little story. And pretty soon I had 33 little stories <laughs> that are just very short, three to four pages long. So it's a very easy read book and it's a feel good book um, because I had a magical upbringing. I mean, I really did. I'm so grateful for it. It was the best. So I just wanted to share that. So that's that's tremendous for sure. And uh, the, what did you learn from writing this book? Um, you know what? I learned that moments that you don't think are that important, you look back on and those are the moments you want to remember. And so it made me more present in my, my daily life now to appreciate what's happening now with my kids and my grandkids. Um, because those times back then were amazing. And I appreciate my grandparents so much more because they, they spent lots of time with us. I mean, to go to birthday parties and school plays and recitals and all kinds of stuff. And yet look at how busy they were. They didn't have the time, but they made the time for us. So I always had a sense that I was important to them. And they made everybody feel like that, really, which was quite amazing. And um, they were just the best. I, I was so close to, especially grandma, we talk about everything. 
Grandpa was a little bit harder to know. He was quiet and shy. Um, but I, we had some really good times, me and him together, going to the swap meet together or going hunting, things like that. And I tell all about that in my, in my book. And I have a lot of pictures, which my husband likes because he doesn't like to read. He likes those coffee table books where there's a lot of pictures. So there's a lot of pictures that haven't been seen before. How long did it take you to write the book? Um, well, it took me since COVID, but only because I kept putting it down and getting it, picking it back up and putting it down. And then when I finally got serious about it, it was just a few months. Wow. So, yeah. That's fantastic stuff for sure. Paul, do you have any other question? No, I don't. I'm, uh, I'm fascinated. I never, I never aspired to be an author and here I am. Yeah, for sure. It's It, it would be, if you like Royendale and you like feel good type stuff and family and all that, um, reminiscing, it's it's um it's an easy read and it's a fun read, I think. You no, know, and, and that's the thing. It's a fun read. And how big of a fan base do do they have? Tell us. You know, they still do have a big fan base, but they are, you know, mainly older people. And so people were concerned about me saying, "Oh, but you're going to write it, and then there won't be an audience because you know the younger people don't know." And it's like, I don't care. I'm writing it kind of for myself and for my family. And if they sell, that's all the better. And if, if other people are interested, that's all the better. Um, I know the older people, it may get some younger people um, because even if you don't know Roy and Dale, it's still interesting. Yeah, it is. Um, and so do you think, have they ever syndicated the show after that or are people still watching it? Oh yeah, it's on it's on RFD TV. It's on um, not Nick at Night, but it's on a couple of those those channels, and they're always playing the Roy Rogers Show along with Gunsmoke and Bonanza and all that. There's probably a fan base of not just older people that watch the show. There yeah. are, and also see me being from California. California's kind of a tough crowd. Um, they're not really into cowboys and westerns. No. no. Um, so I haven't seen a lot of that growing up because I've lived in California all my life. We're in Lake Tahoe now in Nevada. But um, I think in the middle America, there's a lot of fans that are younger. So I really shouldn't say people below 60 don't know him because there are fans um, in the in the middle America that do know who Roy and Dale are. Uh, it's, that's the big that's the big market, but I know you're doing this book because of that, but it's going to live on. So remember, think yeah. about that. That book you can be doing tours forever, not just yeah. Book and you can out. go to a restaurant and order a Roy Rogers drink too. So you oh, know, yeah. my my daughter in law didn't know who he was, but she her favorite drink to go out when she was in high school was a Roy Rogers. She's like, that's your grandpa. So she was um she was excited about that. Okay, best place people can find information on you and buy your book. Where can they go? Um, it's on Amazon right now for pre-order. They haven't gotten the picture up yet, but Barnes and Noble is also up and the picture of the book is on and also on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. They have uh, like a, a synopsis of the book uh, about the author, about, you know, um, it's it's available. And on the 17th of this month, it's going to be official. So they'll they'll have it up. Um, you can pre-order now, but they'll have it up to order. And how are you doing? Are you pushing those pre-orders, even though you said this is not important to you? Is Actually, I, I am. I mean, there's a lot of people. Um, I'm on Facebook. And so a lot of people on Facebook have gone to it um, and and pre-ordered. I'm, you know, yeah, no, you're going to blow. You're going to be surprised. This is going to live on forever. So hopefully you can give this 
to the next generation and next generation after that. So it's fantastic you wrote this book. I, tell I you. hope so. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, I, and as a teacher, you just got to go out there and just talk about it and have them always yeah. in your trunk. Here's the recommendation. Always yep. have books in the trunk because yep. you're a living icon. If you came to, let's say, Dallas, well, I'm in Dallas now. I'm not in Pittsburgh anymore. Uh-huh. You would be loved beyond belief. You could probably do a hundred signings of different places in the, in the country that truly were uh, still, you know. Well, and a lot of people even know uh, Happy Trails. You know, yeah. that's even if they don't know Roy and Dale, um, they use Happy Trails, you know, a lot. Right. Yeah. We appreciate you taking the time. Uh, you're Thank you for having to, me. You're welcome. You're listening to the Neil Haley Show. We'll be back. We're back to Neil Haley's Show, and I'm excited to welcome entrepreneur Tim Gillette. Tim, thanks for stopping by. And you just told me, you know, you're a serial entrepreneur because you started another business just 15 days ago. So tell us about it. So, Jay, just 15 days ago, I'm watching a podcast, and a guy says, with all this AI, I mean, everybody's the big thing, chat GPT, everybody's talking about it. Okay. He says, you could make it your CEO. Explain it to what you want to do. Outline what you want to do and just say, hey, say okay so that you know that it understands. And I did that. And I wrote, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to charge. This is how we're going to build it. This is how we're going to serve our customers. If you, if I don't need you to write anything for me, I just need you to write, okay, you understand, and we'll take it to the next point. And ChatGPT wrote back and goes, Okay, I understand. I'm ready to go as your CEO. Tell me what to do as the next step. And we created a web design company uh, for a, a headache I've seen in the years with automa- with web design, with automation, content, all right, and, and just getting up there. I It bothered me that too many of my clients don't do it. So I'm like, well, I'm just going to create a company and help them do it. And we just, I mean, this guy out of New York who got referred to another guy from a guy in California said, hey, this guy, Tim's starting his company, call him. And literally, like, not six minutes before you and I clicked into this, I was going through the documents of the, the his agreement and signed him on as a client. Wow. So what were you doing to clients before doing this website company? I, I, I've been a business coach. I'm also a real estate investor. I've uh, been a speaker, all right, teaching teaching on marketing and uh, running marketing campaigns for people. So it wasn't like I wasn't like a hands-on. I was more of a mentor doing it. Now I'm offering and building a company to do it for them. So, so tell me what your website company how it's different than others. Or well, we're, first of all, my trademark is Simple Easy Marketing. So we're trademarked using the trademark name Simple Easy Websites because that. I want you to take off the worry and the complex stuff. I got to get all this stuff done. We're making template websites. So in other words, we put four templates up in front of you, pick one. We can adjust colors. We can adjust, uh, you know what I mean? We can adjust the way things are pieced into it, but we pull it out with a template to have you up and going. We're going to make it so that from the this gentleman who signed up today, his website will be live next Monday morning, period. He will have a five-page website up that he'll be able to gra- gather leads from, all right, get information from, and people hired, hiring him to speak by Monday. We're doing a seven-day guarantee up, and then we're going to build American-based teams to actually service these on a regular basis. So this gentleman here bought our content creation package. So we're going to take his book, and we're going to create four blog posts a month for him. We're going to take all of his videos, and we're going to break them down into things, and we're going to put them up on social sites for him 
as well as, uh, you know, build a host of podcasts for him. That's the package he bought. And the idea is it's a hole. And I've seen people get taken so much with, you know, you know, Neil, with all this stuff that's out there. Everybody going, well, I've got the greatest thing in the world. And people jump and they don't realize that they are only buying half the deal. I wanted to buy it. I want to I want to make the whole thing for them. So it's a one-stop shop. They don't have to worry about is my website up. They don't have to worry about is my lead magnet working. That's our job. And, that, and that's nice. And you said you got that from Chat GPT. Chat GPT is our CEO, as a matter of fact. <laughs> and came up with specific things, marketing, everything. You could just come up in the box and go for it. That's great. Yeah. ChatGPT wrote my operations manual, wrote my uh, marketing plan. It actually gave me a um, 30 day checklist. All right. Cause I said 30 day checklist. And, and I said within, you know, 30 days, I want to have so many clients. Give me what to chat GPT, tell Tim what to do to make that happen. And that's where we, we came off with that. And I said, and, and just sign client one. So in less than 15 days. And then pod, so you do podcast production, do everything. So yeah, we're gonna take your you take you give us the recordings and we're going to put them up for you. All right, we're gonna make we're gonna set up the distribution for you and stuff like that. Set up a web page that comes off back to your page as well. Um, and yeah, it, it, I wanna and that was another, you know, Neil, that was another uh, problem I seen. A friend of mine here in Dallas, Texas, has a great, and I do mean great studio for recording podcasts but he doesn't have a distribution way. So it's like, okay, you're done. Here's your podcast. Take it. Good luck. You know, I was like, that's not where they're getting stuck. They can, anybody can turn a camera on, right? What they're having a problem with is, Hey, how do I get this up on Apple? All right. And then how do I get this edited? How do I put a bumpers in front of it? How that's what we're going to do for people. We're going to build a team to, to do it for you. And from now on, you hand us the raw material. We put it up for you. That's that's perfect, and that's exactly uh, what people need is something in the box ready to go and all that stuff. And are you who are you focusing on as your client base? What is I have a large list of speakers and coaches, so I'm starting there. However, I'm not staying there. You know what I mean? I want to go local business. Uh, you know, even the mom and pop restaurants local. That's the that's the idea I want to get to. But you know, influencers or the wannabe influencers, I've got a huge list of that. So that's our first place to start. Oh, awesome. Big, big things uh going. Where can people find that information stuff on that? Uh, simpleeasywebsites.com. Simpleeasywebsites.com. Yeah, everything yeah. in the box, everything done for you. It's yeah. perfect. Yeah, and, and and you know, we're building the processes out right now and 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 love it if you go check it out. Even if you're even if you're not even in the or market yet, go check it out and uh, sign up for a consultation with us, and and we'll review your stuff. And if we're not your people, we'll tell you what to do to improve it yourself. All right, we appreciate it, Tim. You're, you're you. listening and watching the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection, a podcast dedicated to personal growth and mental health discussions with women CEOs across the globe. It's here where inspired women get candid about what drives them to succeed and the personal challenges they've encountered on their path to success. So if you're a woman on a mission, this is the podcast you don't want to miss. So sit back, relax, and let's get candid. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection. I'm your host, Marisa Jones. Today's guest is Nicole Zimmerman, 
She's the founder and CEO of Zellison and Partners, a strategic marketing and transformation consulting firm where she develops agile go-to-market strategies focused on needs-based segmentation, brand positioning, digital marketing, customer experience journeys, and value-based propositions for her clients. Throughout her career, Nicole has worked for Fortune 500 companies in Europe and the US in telecommunications and the financial services industry. She's a passionate champion of diversity, equity, and inclusion, as well as coach and mentor to top talents across the world and named by Forbes as one of the 11 women who are changing the face of finance. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Thank you, Marissa. Thank you for having me. It's so great to, to have you here. And uh, I would love to hear a little bit about um, your marketing and transformation you know, what got you into that field and also where the financial services component comes in and what drove you to that uh, industry? Yeah. Um, so my my journey started uh, during university, actually, where I was not yet very clear about my past. So I actually chose marketing and accounting as my majors to keep my options open, potentially becoming a CPA if I want to, or to get into marketing with a really strong analytical background because I have a love for numbers. And so um, I ended up working for one of the largest telecommunication companies in Europe for many years in different positions in different countries and uh, decided that it is really all about marketing and the customer and customer experience and customer centricity. But, you know, 25 years ago, if I can say that loud, <laughs> it was not very usual that marketeers had a strong analytical background. And so I felt that um, became one of my USPs, actually, in terms of uh, my international career as well. So I worked for 10 years in the telecommunication industry, and then I got a little bit tired of the industry as such. And I got a great opportunity to join actually a US-based Fortune 500 company in the financial service industry um, to lead their European Russia CIS marketing team. And so I decided actually to change industries. And I enjoyed that very much. And um, so my journey took me then from Europe to the US at one point. And um, that's where I'm still located. I love it. So when you so you have a love of numbers and you fell in and you started in telecommunications. So so moving industries probably wasn't much of a jump for you. Um, but what were some of the challenges of changing industries, um, especially specific to the marketing component of it? Yeah, so uh, my time uh, in the telecommunication industry was really predominantly uh, B2B marketing. Whereas when I switched to financial services, it started out actually as uh, being responsible for the consumer to consumer segment. And um, so that was probably for a marketeer more of a change because B2B marketing is really 
quite different from C2C marketing. And so it was more about, you know, how can I apply my knowledge in this new industry with a different view into the segments? But, you know, again, numbers are coming there very handy because, you know, you rely on the data, you rely on the insights, you rely on segmentation information, and you build from there as a marketeer your marketing programs, your value propositions, and so on. So it it took a little to learn the industry as such, because it's also very specific. It's financial services in the remittance money transfer space. So cross-border money transfer. Um, and um, But it's also very interesting and rewarding because you're doing something really great. You're enabling people sending money back home. And at that time, uh, specifically, the core audience were migrants that were leaving their home countries, going to a host country, earning a living, um, trying to, you know, improve their life and with their growth in, um, you know, wealth and um, prosperity, sending money back home to support their families in developing countries, which is a great cause to work for. Wow, that's a great insight. Most people wouldn't think of that, right? And and I absolutely can see that um, because my family are they're first generation American, and I've seen mm-hmm. them do that and send money back to their families. Um, and and they did use you know financial services like you know I won't name names, but um, you know it's for <laughs> that. So it's it's great that you see that human component of something that most mm-hmm. people typically wouldn't see. Yeah, the. Customer segmentation, I have to say, so the technical part of it is something that I'm I'm really curious about and interesting about um, or interested in. Um, you learn so much, not only looking into research, but also talking to customers, you know, understanding, you know, what what are they driven by? What what are they looking for? You know, and and how can a company offering a product like money transfer support them in their dreams, pursuing their dreams? You know, it has a lot to do with um, and, you know, um, so understanding, you know, that there is nervousness related to using a product, making sure that your hard earned money really ends up where you want it to end up. And all these type of things um, were things that I uh, was always interested in and learning more about what, what is driving a consumer or what is driving uh, a business, you know, to develop a product to serve their customers or to use a product. And that's and that's important from the marketing perspective, right? Like on a day to day, if you're working for an organization, it's not as critical. Um, is that what drove you to start your own company? What what was the driving point for that? Yeah, that that was slightly different, but maybe you could say it's connected as well. So after 25 years in in corporate with a a career that I'm really grateful for um, and with all the opportunities that I had, you know, living in different countries, working in, 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 in executive roles with global and international responsibilities, leading teams across the world. 
I felt that there is a, a, a it is a good time to start my second career and think about how can I use uh, my marketing knowledge and my transformation and change management knowledge that I acquired um, in my last couple of years working in corporate to more companies and more individuals, you know, so how can I help them on their growth journey with all of my knowledge? And so that was what um, actually drove me to decide to leave a corporate career and start my own business and finding my voice there in the way of how I want to service companies and individuals in their journey. And, and that's really, so you took a risk, right? To go start your own company, which is great. Uh, what do you think uh, differentiates you from other businesses? What, what component do you bring to your business? So I strongly believe my USP and value proposition is all centered around um, the unique depth of my knowledge not only in international marketing, but also in digital transformation and in cultural change management, which is a pretty unique combination of skill sets. And as I said, I'm very grateful for the opportunity I had to actually leave marketing at one point and learn all of these other skills in a Fortune 500 company, being able to drive enterprise-wide programs that drive transformation and drive change. And so that, that is definitely something that I think is very unique about me and the services that I can provide. And I feel that I have learned through leading teams also what is important from a mentorship and from a coaching perspective in supporting individuals in an organization. And so that's where my business focuses really on consulting, but also on coaching. So because I think it often comes to the point where there is a challenge for the individual or the teams and organizations to then go and actually truly transform and implement the transformation programs or to really drive a change in culture or focus on, you know, specific aspects of cultural change management like diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so I feel that I can bring that to the table for organizations or for individual clients. You you brought up exactly what I was going to ask you, which is, you know, change, change, transformation, digital transformation or transforming your businesses, you know, requires behavioral changes and it requires personal trained changes. And, and, and you can get that through mentorship. So, so mentoring teams, like I've always mentored teams and you have to be a leader and really mentor your teams to change, to grow, because they have to want it, right? They can't, you just can't force that on people. Um, and yeah. I think mentoring and coaching is so important to get that behavior change from people so they have a passion and drive to, to want that change and, and actually make it happen. Yeah. So I, I found when I left corporate and really designed, so to say, the value proposition of my services, 
that I want to make sure I can support organizations and individual in connecting 